From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. Ranco's data presented a Southeast by the Numbers report for 2022 and spoke to the region's cruise season. Melani Shivens, director of Ranco's data, made that presentation to the Southeast Conference at their annual meeting. In 2021, we had 300,000 more passengers, more tour- people come to Southeast Alaska than had in 2020. And um, our, our jobs and our tourism jobs were up by 36% in 2020. Two um, tourism jobs are already up by 20%, and we'll, we'll see how those numbers end up. She reflected on the cruise visitation in years leading up to 2022. 2018, we had 1.2 million cruise ship passengers come to Southeast. In 2019, it was 1.33 million. In 2020, it was 48 altogether. That's a total. Um, and in 2021, we managed to get 10% of our cruise ship season back. And um, now in 2022, um, we've we've had, a, I think, a really good season. Our ships um, through August have been, on average, 74% full. And made this projection for the 2023 season. I'm projecting a 1.05 million cruise ship passengers coming to Southeast. They're still coming. We don't know the final number. So, but regardless, it'll it'll end up being about our fourth highest year ever in terms of um, cruise ship passenger arrivals into Southeast. Melani Shivens, director of Raincoast Data. While on a panel on Southeast Visitor Industry at the Southeast Conference's annual meeting, a representative with the Cruise Lines International Association, or CLIA, talked about their efforts towards green and sustainable cruising. According to CLIA, their member lines bring 99% of the cruise traffic that comes to Alaska and that 40% of the return visitors first came to Alaska on a cruise ship. CLIA's Vice President of Government and Community Relations, Renee Reeve, spoke at the event. CLIA member lines were committed to pursuing net, net zero carbon cruising by 2050. Um, that's not going to be an easy goal. Everybody here knows that. Um, but sustainability continues to be a driving force for our industry. Um, not just sustainability of, of the ships and of cruising, but of also of the destinations that we come to. Um, in addition to the advancements that we make um, on board, such as LED lighting, uh, paint that reduces friction, paint on the hulls that reduce friction um, when sailing, um, we use solar panels to power some of those LEDs now. We have air lubrication systems that reduce drag. We are at the forefront of innovation for the maritime industry. Reeves said they are looking at other fuels, including biofuels and liquefied natural gas. Reeve praised shore power at ports. We would love for you to see shore power. Um, you may know 21 years ago, Juno became the first port in the world that had shore power. Not to call her out, but Mayor Beth Weldon was recently quoted in uh, the Maritime Executive saying it's been a win, 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 win. The princess ships have no visible emissions. The vessels can reduce their carbon footprint. Princess gets cheaper power for the ships while in dock, and AE LNP gets extra revenue, which is then passed on to local ratepayers. I mean, we'd love to see shore power everywhere we can see shore power. Renee Reeve with Cruise Line International Association. Huna Totem Corporation provided an update on their tourism projects in the state while at the annual meeting of the Southeast Conference. The corporation's Mickey Richardson provided that update starting with their Whittier project. 
So we are, we'll be breaking ground here in the next couple of weeks here in Whittier. Really excited to say it's the first double berth uh, that is in South Central or, or the gateway to the interior that we'll be building completely funded. He further elaborated on their plans with South Central Alaska. As we open that facility, we're really excited to be working with the rail belts um, to extend tours not only north but also south. To us, uh, Seward's a very key. Kenai Peninsula is an awesome, one of the most awesome places in part of the state and really under undervisited. So we're looking forward to that. And with a part of that acquisition uh, that we did with Doyon, one of the first the first acquisition we did for for Nadana was we purchased Alaska Independent Coach Company. And uh, that was very important to us. So as we look into the interior in Whittier, we look forward to expanding that operation out of southeast, but also into the interior. Meanwhile, Richardson spoke to the subport property donation in Juneau from the Norwegian Cruise Lines. It was quite the surprise when the property was donated to Huna Totem. Uh, we had submitted an art for the RFI process and we really are excited about working with the city to fall in line with the community goals and aspirations for the waterfront plan, uh, the Seawalk, and really to build one of the most iconic destinations in all of Alaska. And it really is truly the gateway to Juneau. And it's really an exciting project. Mickey Richardson of Hunatotum. The Coast Guard medevac to cruise ship passenger at the entrance to Chatham Strait near Juneau Tuesday. Coast Guard watchstanders in Juneau received the initial request for the medevac from Ovation of the Seas at 2.18 in the afternoon, stating the passenger was reportedly experiencing heart attack-like symptoms. An air station Sitka air crew aboard a Jayhawk helicopter arrived on scene at about 4, hoisted the 62-year-old man and a nurse, and transported them to an awaiting airlift Northwest crew in Sitka for further transport. Juno Docks and Harbor staff presented a flag from the USS Juno Memorial this week to a family whose father was lost when the ship was destroyed in the Battle of Guadalupe Canal in World War II. Harbormaster Matt Creswell spoke to News of the North about the presentation. We were uh, contacted by the family of a uh, person that was lost in the uh, sinking of the uh, USS Juno, and it was the daughter of a sailor on board. Uh, apparently, she was six years old when the ship went down, and she heard about the USS Juno Memorial and had planned to take a cruise up here in 2020 to visit the memorial and pay her respects to her late father. And COVID hit, and so cruises weren't, were not happening that year. And uh, now that everything kind of turned back on, they had the opportunity to come as a family and visit Juno on a cruise. And they let us know ahead of time. We arranged a flag ceremony, which means they came down, said a few words. We lowered a flag off the flagpole at the USS Juno Memorial, had a uh, flag-folding ceremony. Uh, we were helped out greatly by Mr. James Houck with Juno Pedicab, who just happened to be in the area and is also retired military. And uh, James stepped in and helped uh, Mr. Kevin Dugan, who is also a veteran and retiree. Uh, they did the flag-folding ceremony and presented the flag to the uh, daughter of the man who was lost in the sinking of the Juno. And uh, it was a really neat ceremony. They, they were able to, she felt that, she was able to talk to her dad, and uh, it was a really, really great thing to see. So we're glad they contacted us and we were able to uh, make it happen for them. The USS Juno was sunk on November 13, 1942. A U.S. Senate forum was held this week at the Southeast Conference's annual meeting in Ketchikan. Senator Lisa Murkowski, Kelly Shabaka, and Pat Chesbro took part. 
One of the first questions posed to the three was their view on the politics of fish. Shabaka said this. I think that we're all concerned about the reduction in Chinook and Chum salmon. I strongly support increasing our Coast Guard aircraft, drones, cutters, and resources in Alaska to enforce our EEZ. I also think we need to invest in enforcement to protect our multi-billion dollar annualized seafood industry. This is a valuable and sacred in, uh, resource that we've got to make available to all Alaskans. We must prioritize subsistence first. Let's couple that with funding for research on stuff that hasn't yet been conducted. Our long-term research and evaluation is necessary. I also support exploring and creating a new fisheries management council to manage our Alaska waters or the Bering Sea. Jesboro spoke to trawling and bycatch. I think obviously we want to have our fair share of fish. I don't know exactly how that, I don't know what the fair share is because I don't know what the big share is. I know there's a lot of talk about trawlers and bycatch and those kinds of things. And my my uh, person suggested to me that maybe we look at if you if they get a salmon in their bycatch, then they have to report that as a salmon and then they sell it and they use it and that's how that goes. We can also strengthen our observer programs by having two observers maybe so that they don't have to stay up 24 hours a day to uh, check on the fish and check on the bycatch. Kowski said Alaska gets the short end of the stick on Chinook allocations. Um, I do want to speak to the, the significance of the fisheries and, and, and how Alaska has really been cut out when it comes to um, the, the Chinook allocation. Uh, we took the smallest cut in that allocation during the last uh, Pacific Salmon Treaty negotiation, but we lose allocation every time at every IPH uh, meeting, despite the fact that we submit the, the lion's share of funding, about 80% of the funding. In another forum, the two candidates for the Alaska House seat currently held by Jonathan Christ Tompkins were at the annual meeting. Kenny Scaffolstead and Rebecca Hemshute spoke to the attendees. Scaffolstead spoke about his history in Huna and local politics. I'm here to participate in the Southeast Conference, which I've enjoyed many years in the past as a council person, uh, citizen rabble rouser, and uh, and the mayor of, of Huna in my past. Um, I'm a I'm a guy that uh, grew up in the construction trade. I come from a, one of the old logging families, one of the last independent loggers in Southeast Alaska. Grew up around commercial fishing of every which kind. Uh, grew up in a community that uh, that offered up uh, aunts and uncles and neighbors to raise the youth, and so it was a, a big group that had a uh, a voice in my upbringing. Hemshoot spoke about her background as a teacher. It's great to be at Southeast Conference. I've always heard about it. First time participant. So, my name is Rebecca Hemshoot. I'm from Sitka. I've been in Sitka for about 25 years, and uh, my family, uh, like me, uh, holds a strong love for rural Alaska. My brother and his wife raised their children in Dillingham. I have a niece and um, a grand niece, and my niece's husband all live in Petersburg. So we uh, care very much about the values of rural Alaska. Um, I am a teacher in Sitka, and in my three decades in education, I've had the opportunity to work overseas. I've worked in Hawaii, and for the last 17 years, I've been a teacher, an elementary teacher, in Sitka. Legislative candidates in Sitka, Kenny Scaffolstead and Rebecca Hemshoot. 
The city and borough of Sitka passed unanimously this week an ordinance to tighten regulation of short-term rentals. Under the ordinance, short-term rentals would be defined as rentals of single-dwelling units for less than 30 consecutive days. For short-term rentals like Airbnb or VRBO, as well as bed and breakfasts, the period in which the permit must be activated following planning commission approval or it becomes void would be one year. Permits for short-term rentals and bed and breakfasts would not be transferable upon sale or transfer of ownership of the property. Deputy Mayor Kevin Knox spoke to News of the North about what brought the ordinance to light. Back earlier this spring, uh, Kevin Moser and I, in, uh, in working with some members of the community and the Planning and Zoning Commission, looked at uh, addressing some of the, the increased numbers of short-term rentals that uh, SICA is experiencing, much like a lot of other places in, in the U.S., um, in order to um, kind of address a growing concern that the, the proliferation of, of short-term rentals was taking long-term rentals and long-term housing stock off the market. Uh, so we brought forward, originally I brought forward a proposal to have a moratorium on short-term rentals, a, a temporary moratorium, in order to come up with some solutions to address things. That moratorium did not pass. When that moratorium didn't pass, the borough took a different approach. Subsequently, we held a town hall meeting and uh, were able to get some feedback from the community, uh, as well as getting some feedback from a survey that was uh, deployed by the planning um, department within the city of Sitka, and uh, came up with this as one of the solutions. So uh, kind of um, putting a few restrictions on uh, the, the use of short-term rentals and the conditional use permit in residential neighborhoods. Knox spoke to the difficulties with developing affordable housing in Sitka. Affordable housing is is one of those big, uh, big tough nuts to crack. I guess um, you know affordable being uh, you know a relative thing. Like you know one person's affordable isn't necessarily another's. Uh, so there's there's uh, a big uh, crux to get over there. I think uh, one of the things that we uh, often struggle with with affordable housing in Sitka is the cost of goods. Under the ordinance, short-term rentals would be required to be the applicant's primary residence. A bill aimed at establishing limited certification to language immersion teachers in Alaska went into law this week. House Bill 19, sponsored by Representative Jonathan Christ Tompkins, went into law Monday without the governor's signature. HB 19 allows the State Department of Education and Early Development to issue limited language immersion teacher certificates, valid only in the area of expertise for which it is issued, to teach students enrolled in a language immersion program. Beginning December 15th, when the law goes into effect, limited language immersion teacher certificates will be available for eligible language teachers through DEED. Never miss a story or a newscast at KINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North... This is Kevin Allen.